Guten Nagen. My name is Simon. This is the Apologue Podcast. I am your host. Today, we have an amazing guest. A guest that I goes back now 25 years, this person I've known for. His name is Chris Hanna. He's the guitar player and singer in the band called Propagandi. Propagandi is a band that are really known for human um, rights, ethics. Um, they've written songs and supported causes that um, you wouldn't know existed. Chris is a very good soul. He's a good man, and he really does. He's he's a caring type, and when you when you listen to him, you'll you'll know what what I'm talking about. Um, you can actually go check out Propagandi on tour. Um, they will be in the middle of June. They'll be going out east. You can hear where they're playing. Or go to their website, propagandi.com, and go check out their music, their band. If you're into progressive hard rock music, um, I probably guess that 99.9% of the people listening to this podcast know who I'm talking about. So let me introduce you to Mr. Chris Hanna of Propagandi on the Apolog Podcast. Chris Hanna, it has been too long. It's been two, over two years since we actually s talked in person. Yeah, well over two years, I would say. You're looking well. Am I? I feel like shit. Really? No, you look good, man. You you look uh, like you did 20 years ago. Well, then I must have looked like shit 20 years ago. If you take, I'm chronically tired. If you take the hat off, are you bald? <laughs> no, not yet. Oh, yeah. I'm working on it. Oh, dude, no, still, you're you're doing great. It's not gray. You're not dying head. at like a middle aged. You know. No. no, no, I wouldn't do that. I got I got gray. It's just not. Uh, it's not quite in yet. Yeah, just like little touches. Hmm. It's in my beard. It makes yeah. I had I have a half gray beard, so I look like I'm. If I look this way, I'm looking good, and I look that way, I look like an old hobo. So. Oh, that's unusual. I know it is weird. I, I'm waiting half for it to half. come in. I realize I don't, I'm not the beardy kind of guy. I'm not the kind of guy that needs to wear a beard. I've never had one properly and I just don't, why start? This is, this is about, this is probably six months of growth for me, unfortunately. <laughs> I'd love to have a big fucking beard. Yeah. Not going to happen. I've, no, well not I'm now. Listening. No, you've, you've, no, no. Well, good for you. Um, let's talk about your band. Let's talk about when you started uh let's talk about you you started this band when how old were you when you started the band well uh i mean it depends it depends when you start counting um <laughs> what is a legitimate starting point but i always say 1986 because that's when me and jord actually jammed together for the first time mm -hmm. and had i had you know we'd been playing i think he played drums for the year before that i i had a guitar six months before that um, and we had the idea for, I think the name Propagandi, but I think if you ask Jord, who's much more of a practical, uh, kind of guy, he would say we weren't really a band until 88 or 89 when we actually started making real songs instead of just having this idea for a band. I'm the kind of guy, I really like the idea of doing things and then I don't do them. Mm -hmm. Um, Jord's more the kind of guy who likes doing things. <laughs> he gets so, it he gets it done <clears throat> yeah but 86 you know uh it sounds cooler when i say 86 it does it, sound, it does sound yeah you must have been then just like what thir 13 12 14? no I, I was 15 15 I was 15 and yeah that's when everybody starts a band really if you're gonna start a band 15 is the age to do it you yeah know? yeah and your first like your first guitar was it like uh where did you where was like because you're portage la prairie right that that's where you're from yeah 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 a little town. How far is that outside of Winnipeg now? Like an hour or two? Um, uh, 45 minutes these days, the way people drive now. About 45 <laughs> minutes out. Used to be an hour. Halfway to but, Brandon? Uh, half, well, almost halfway. Yeah. yeah. But I'm I'm actually kind of from all over the place because my dad was, was military, but I spent 
two of our postings were in Portage on the the Air Force Base just south of Portage La Prairie, Southport. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I identify. I mean, because that's where I spent a lot of my time as a kid, or at least seven full years, and uh, that's a lot of time in one place mm-hmm. for a military kid. And uh, it's where I had my most formative experiences, I think. Um, yeah. So I say I'm from Portage when people ask. Yeah. <laughs> where else did where where else was your dad stationed? Uh, Coal Lake, Alberta, uh, various places in Germany, oh, Ottawa, wow. uh, Canberra, Australia, um, almost Birmingham, Alabama. But thankfully, he fucking pulled the plug on that when the whole family said no. <laughs> <laughs> no, I wouldn't know what it's like to sort of pick up roots and just sort of take off and be like a part of this traveling, traveling around and, and meeting new people, like going to new schools. Like, how was that? Was that brutal? I bet. Brutal. Especially for a guy like me, because uh, I don't like meeting people and I don't like, uh, I, have, I have a lot of anxiety about talking to people and meeting people. Uh, so, or maybe it's from doing all that from moving around and uh, never knowing anybody for more than two years at a time. Because you can't develop like that best friend bond, like, you know, people did in early, early school days, you know? And yeah, I've, I've, I've heard interviews with people who were army people who were moving around and they said they used it to their advantage because they would find the coolest person and meet that person. And because they were the new person, they were the cool person. You know what I mean? Like, but it didn't Mm. sound like you were that way. You were more like keeping yourself and just, trying trying to be social or was it just sort of you knew uh, you're moving along yeah i think you know you 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 arrive somewhere um you know for your fifth move and you're like well what's the point of fucking making friends they're not gonna have them in two years mm-hmm. uh and maybe now now that i'm thinking about it maybe this explains a lot about me <laughs> in my later years not bothering to want to talk to anybody and just essentially sitting in this basement I like your basement. It looks like that's yeah, not bad, eh? It looks like my basement. But look, I'm in your basement. You're what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, you got a nice big basement. It's kind of big. I mean, like it's bigger than average. That's my kit that's supposed to be at my studio right now. Growing up, and and so so when did you stop moving? As soon as you moved out of the house, is like is, is that like uh, Winnipeg was our final, my dad's final posting, mm-hmm. um, and that was within. Uh, you know, I was within an, an hour on a bus to Portage, so I was able to maintain some of the friendships I'd made there, and the, the critical one being Jord, mm-hmm. and I never let go of that one. We're still <laughs> obviously friends, and uh, um, I didn't want to go anywhere. You know, I think, you know, uh, everyone or many people over the years have asked us why we stay in Winnipeg, and uh, there's no good answer because it's never really helped the band in any way. But I don't want to fucking be, I don't want to move again and start, you know, I don't want to go to a new place and meet new people. It's mm-hmm. just, that was it. That was it for me. Just stay in Winnipeg. It's a shithole, but we like it here. Well, I mean, yeah, from what you're saying, from moving around as a kid, it seems more logical. You might say geographically it's better because you're closer to maybe both coasts i don't know that's what they use for nashville yeah, or, well nashville yeah but you also have all these places to play yeah you know around that we have no you know we're in the middle of canada we're as far from everywhere yeah that you can be you know so it's it was, i don't know i guess i don't really know what i'm talking about well i think it's probably well i've noticed that a lot of people when they have nothing else to do they become better musicians i do know that part like, look at Regina. There's nothing to do in Regina. There's a lot of great people who know how to play. That's true. You know, Toronto has got good players, but not to the intensity that I've met in other cities, smaller towns, that where there's nothing right. really to do. Um, you know, so Port- Portage La Prairie, was, you moved to Winnipeg, so your family still lives in Portage La Prairie? Is that the deal? No, they they eventually, no, they came to Winnipeg for that posting. They eventually moved out to... Uh, my parents moved to Stonewall, where my sister is, mm-hmm. um, and uh, left me here. <laughs> Abandoned me. Defend for yourself. How, mm-hmm. how old were you when you moved out of the house? Um, 18, 17? Yeah. Eight, no, 18. Yeah. And me and Jordan uh, lived down on Beverly Street 
uh, here in Winnipeg. What was the house you lived in where I first met you? What, what was that place called? It had a name. Uh, was it on? Uh, was it down by the river? Town, by the city hall, close to the river. Yeah. By city hall. Yeah, down by the. Uh, I think I walked by it. Or do you mean on River River Avenue? We used to live on River Avenue uh, with the I Spy guys. Yes, that's the place. Yeah, the Chaos House. The Chaos House. That's right. Yeah, and I came and recorded. That some... one was torn down too. It's gone. Yeah, they tore that down. They tore down the McMillan, the Red Fisher House. They tore yeah. down the other previous McMillan house that I lived in with Sam Smith. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, what happened? Did it burn down or did it catch on fire? Did the guy just say, screw it, and just didn't want it anymore? They, I think all of them, they just said, screw it. Yeah. Build something new. It's a shame. I mean, I still notice things when I, because I, I walked through Winnipeg just, just to, hopefully to see the McMillan house, which was sadly torn down. But, um... I noticed that there's certain things about Winnipeg that are, will always be parts of Winnipeg. Like, uh, like that, the toad in the hole, that, that place is still kind of there. Right. And like the roasting house is gone. Uh, Osborne's obviously the Osborne village motor hotel, things like that, that I remind, but the Dutch master is gone or the Dutch maid. I mean, the Dutch maid is gone. That was all, an antique store. Yeah. It reminds, it was you could still kind of recognize it, you know, but, uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, like so, you, you enjoyed. You've started propaganda. You've been doing propaganda for almost thirty years, if you go by that time. Um, you you met Fat Mike and and became. Uh, but you'd already, had you put something out before the Fat Records? Yeah, we we had. I mean, we we were just putting out um, cassettes. Yeah, that we recorded on a four track, and to us that was that's about all the ambition we could muster and that's all we ever expected to to do and uh, we just recorded those in my mom's basement or one of them in my mom's basement and the other ones maybe on Beverly Street I don't know where mm-hmm. uh but uh we put out three of those and then a guy in uh Pennsylvania uh who did a magazine called Birth Scene put out a 7-inch that was us on one side and then John Bartles and Sockeye on the other and we thought, wow, there it is. We're on vinyl. We're done. We're done. And then ended up playing a show with no effects. And uh, we went on to put out a record with him eventually. I must have been wacky crazy because, I mean, it must have been just been nuts that there's somebody from wherever the States it's into your band. And, 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 and all these, you know, the views you had, I mean, are totally you're still you still hold these values i mean that's that it's it's a tough thing to to hold on to with certain things but did you you must have had some issues with that (laughs) i mean with the whole idea of being on a label and it's so far away and you have to like you know speak to other people that you don't know i mean how was how was that for you were you you cool with it i mean uh uh we were we were kind of we were excited because i i really liked uh um the the longest line EP he had just put out on Fat Records I thought that was really cool at the time, and I thought the No Effects uh, Rib record was really cool, um, so it was kind of like, wow, cool this is this is this is neat I think the guy's wasting his money, <laughs> um, but fuck what do we care let's do it yeah and uh, but I don't think we we really didn't we really didn't have any expectation that it was gonna be um, anything more than a really well recorded demo kind of thing, you know? Yeah. And, uh, then it just got caught up in that whole, you know, it was just, um, either the right time, right place or wrong time, wrong place or whatever, you know, however you want to see it. Yeah. Um, it ultimately, it helped us keep doing this until this day. I, you know, we, well, we'd still be doing it, but we would just be another, you know, we'd be playing at, uh, the Windsor. Yeah. Just a bunch of old guys playing their old tunes and stuff like that, or sure. new tunes. But yeah. nobody would have ever heard of us if if Mike hadn't have put out that record. John Sutton went on that tour with that first real tour that you did, and and he tells me stories. And I don't know because at the time John was a bit of a compulsive liar, so <laughs> <laughs> he he would tell stories they weren't necessarily true. But um, oh yeah, one story he told me, and you can actually you can now either say it's true or not. <laughs> But you told me that you guys had a pillowcase full of money that would be your bank. A 
pillowcase. A pillowcase. And that would just be the money from the show would go in there. Gas money would come out. There was never any real like accounting. It was just a bag. Oh, of- the, the, well, that's not entirely true. There, there might've been a, I've never, I didn't know where the money, I never handled the money. I don't know where it went. <laughs> a pillow, a pillowcase or a bag or whatever. But I, I remember, uh, I, I still have a, a, a little book somewhere, a notebook of at least a, um, like a pitiful attempt to account for, you know, uh, what, I don't know if it was accounting. It was, is in Samson, John Samson's writing, mm-hmm. e- either trying to account for money that came in from the shows and how much we paid in gas, or it was just like a, a journal, like a, mm-hmm. you know, a novelty, you know, a curiosity of of how of how things went. I'm not sure what it was, but it was there. So somebody, somebody had an idea of what was happening. I certainly didn't. Um, <laughs> and the pillowcase doesn't sound that far fetched. <laughs> uh, well, I I was always sort of questioned because John would say things, and then he would usually let you know that he was lying. So, <laughs> he, yeah. So he would like sort of lead on, and he would, the story would get more far fetched. So you would say, "Oh, wait, you're lying to me." And and he obviously he told a good one because I was like, "This it sounds kind of like, kind of like you guys in the early days, and it sounds romantic, yeah. you know, in a way that you'd almost get a sharpie and paint a dollar sign on it and say, that's all our money.' <laughs> and they got the bank. Yes, I do. And it's like a pillowcase and it's over the shoulder, you know, that kind of stuff. <laughs> I always thought that would be kind of neat. Well, when when I write your book. <laughs> I'm gonna put that in, and it'll be like it'll be, and then it'll be true because it I wrote. Is, yeah, it, I believe it right now. <laughs> there you go, and yeah, and you know, you also told me things like your first couple of shows were like people were like there, and then things sort of like progressed. You know, you get further and further away from home, and more and more people would be coming to your shows. I mean, was that true? Please tell me that was true. That could be true. Uh, depend. Like, where was that? Which tour was Sutton on? He was on. <sighs> uh, I think it went down towards Austin or it went down towards this uh, California oh, or yeah, yeah. could have been gone down towards the East Coast. I I, I don't know. It's vague uh, for me too. Yeah, I think. He only did one tour with you, right? Yeah, I think it was. That's probably true because we, I mean, but that would be true almost of anybody mm-hmm. um, because we would have been starting out in Winnipeg, probably hitting Rapid City and fucking Sioux Falls where you know, a few people would come out to a basement Mm -hmm. or even in Minneapolis, just a few people would come out to the basement. And then as you get closer to California, which I think was where we went with, Mm -hmm. with, uh, John, I I mean, that whole skate, surf, snowboard stuff there, which we got, uh, kind of lumped into, uh, was massive there. So the shows did get bigger. I, I would say it probably from Denver out to the coast, it would, it got pretty big. And it's a really a true accomplishment of something, you know, and, you know, I like the way you, you've actually, you, you know, you have to say that no effects gave you your start, you know, and whatever yeah. happens later on down the line is unimportant, you know, and credit is due where credit is due, you know, and, and that is you know, a, a thing to, even though your politics aren't the same and we swore we wouldn't get too political on this and you know, I'm fine, but you know, uh, I don't mind that, you know, if you want, <laughs> I mean, I understand that when people, you meet each other and then you start to get to know each other and then you start to go, you know what, this isn't working, you know, and, or. Yeah. I think, I mean, we knew from the get go, mm-hmm. um, just knowing, uh, being familiar with no effects, you know, I, I knew like, okay, well, this is going to be, uh, there's some, there's a cultural chasm mm-hmm. and, and, a and a sort of a political gap at least. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and we, I think both us and Mike sort of reveled in that for a, for a while. Like it was kind of fun, you know, like yeah. Mike would spout off about something. We'd spout off back to him, you know, together. And, but we were always, it was always friendly and stuff. And I, I, I think just in the early to mid two thousands, um, as I, th- I think things just w- came to a head in regards to the cultural chasm. We just got, uh, I think, well, part of it's like we, the, the band since that first record kind of 
was trying to make a different record each time he made a record, do something, do something that was, that piqued our interest and wasn't just selling a widget to a demographic. And I think as we progressed and started to find our voice, um, maybe Mike, I mean, he, you know, everybody knows Mike hates metal, right? Yeah. But we, we grew up as metalheads. Yeah. We're metalheads. And as we got better at playing, we were able to finally, you know, because our first record uh, before it got made at West Beach, was, which was the sort of the sonic factory for the early Epitaph fat stuff yeah. that kind of gave it that sonic signature in some ways, to us, we thought we sounded like Guilt Parade from Ontario, which was a metallic hardcore punk band. We that's what we thought we sounded, or like Dayglows. That's what we thought we were. Yeah. And that first record got recorded, and it came out, and we're like, "Wow, that sounds a lot like No Effects." Yeah, you know, like I could. It was uh, maybe it was the same drum kit. I know I was using Eric Melvin's cab. I used somebody else's guitar. Mike was there. Donald Cameron producing. You know, so. It's the it's production, not, yeah. It's the production, it is. definitely. It's the, the, the I'm, and to be honest, I love I love West Beach Recorders has one of the best sounding rooms I've ever heard. And oh yeah, it was a very it was a small facility. I thought it sounded great. I wish we could make another record there. I don't think it's even there anymore. I don't think Donnell's doing music, but um, I think because we were making melodic skippy stuff, the the metallic tinge that was on that record is overshadowed by the goofiness and the novelty and and just the you know the record sounding similar to the band those melodic California skate bands that were prevalent at the time mm-hmm. um but yeah so a lot, that we kind of changed from that even even on the second record I I could tell you know Mike was like why are you singing like this and yeah. I was thinking you know what are you talking about listen to that first record why was I singing like that <laughs> you know why didn't someone stop me? I'd never <laughs> been in a studio before and I was just going, yeah. you know. Well, less and you're it, talking about less talking more rock. Yeah, that, the next record which to me that's you know. the kicking off point for me. It just says that first cup those first two songs it's like we're we're here and you know and and uh, and I remember talking to you about that and I I you know cuz Brad, you know our friend, I forget his last name, but Brad, Big Brad. I can't remember his last oh, name. Oh, Brad, Mor- Brad Morrison. Yes, he had a copy Brad of Morrison. that. And he and I'm like listening to it and he goes, I'm not supposed to let you listen to this because Chris told me that he, I can't. <laughs> and I'm listening to it and I go, hey man. And I totally let it out of the bag. I'm like, I heard the album. It sounds amazing. And you said something like, yeah, the toms are too loud. And I'm like- The toms are too loud. Yeah, so, oh. yeah you said it over the phone. I'm like, why? Why do you say that? It sounds awesome. You know what I mean? You guys are always trying to, I don't know, capture something. We can go to other records, but- I really think you did. You captured something, and I think let's let's talk more rock was something that was that kicking off point between melodic, punk rock, thrash, technical, and and the way the the lyrics and everything all fits together. It's it's an amazing soup. Yeah, I I, I actually that's that's one of my it's kind of one of my favorites among all the records. Mm-hmm. Sort of sort of. Um, like I don't think it's better than our recent stuff, but I think for for what it was, it was the it was the bet it was the where me and Jord and Samson were, that was as far as we were gonna take that, and mm-hmm. we did. I thought it was really cool, kind of clash of cultures there on that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, well, yeah, definitely. That was Samson's last hit at it too, right? And there was there's yeah. EPs and things that before in and interspersed in there somewhere. Um, the Ice by 10 inch split. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> That's not the one I'm thinking of a split that came out on G7 that was one track. <laughs> I think it's an I Spy record, but it might be the I Spy propaganda split. Oh. The CD or something went wrong with something, but it's one big track. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I had it here yeah. and I was trying to cut it into tracks so I could hear it. Oh crap, I can't remember the name of it. Whatever, whoever's out there, whoever's like the... uh historian do you have like the archivalist of your band the one that no knows everything nobody nobody in our band knows anything about the past i'm the closest thing and i know nothing how about fans do you have any fans that just come up to you go remember that time when you played the widly wah and then you usually go widely wid you remember that (laughs) (laughs) you know um well uh not quite i not really that i've encountered I, i was talking to 
uh, Damien Abraham from Fucked Up a few mm-hmm. nights ago, and he's he's a bit of a he kind of knows a lot about our past, which mm-hmm. I was surprised by. He knew about when things came out and what was on what, and he knew about our this that rare seven inch with John Bartles and Sockeye. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Um, maybe I should ask him. <laughs> we'll get him on next week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the um, I mean, Samson being in your band, I mean. Uh, he obviously went on, did the Weaker Dance, did all these crazy things. Uh, and and do you think him leaving, obviously it was a brotherly, okay, go, be free, do your thing, and enter Todd. But how, how was that? How was him leaving? Was it all, was it sour grapes? Was there any? Not not at first. Um, well, no, I mean, not not really at first. Like we, we, we agreed this is what we should do. Like, you know, called him one day and said, I think we, Got to find somebody else. And he's like, yeah, let's do this. Mm-hmm. And, uh, um, but then, you know, when you're young and nobody's thinking and then you're deciding, well, what do we do with, you know, the gear and the, how does, the, how do we go forward with the money and stuff? We started mm-hmm. nitpicking and, and then the, you know, the, the little thing, I don't know we, we, I don't, I wouldn't say it was. I would say at the time, um, we we didn't know how to be around each other. Sort of after, even though we were putting out weaker than's records, mm-hmm. you know, I on G Seven Records, I think we just, I don't know what happened. I, it's, it's funny. I just saw John tonight <laughs> uh, for the first time in a while. He had his hair is down to here. It's really get funny. out of here, really. Yeah, it's hilarious. What? Um, looks great though, John, if you're listening. Yeah. But, um, uh, I think that's, you know, all that, whatever was weird for me and John, I think is totally gone now. Time I'm, I'm heals. Interested. Yeah. I'm interested in what he does. Actually, the, but the whole time I was interested in what he was doing. Yeah. Uh, still. Well, obviously I, I you were because you're putting out, his, you know, you guys are putting out records together. I mean, if it was a bad, you know, it wouldn't be, wouldn't be like this. I think it was more like being young and then possibly just being snarky about I we we liked being snarky it was fun to be snarky about this band that you know he's always starting this this band and it's quiet and stuff and and uh maybe maybe one snark too many you know what I mean that kind of yeah. stuff back then uh but uh that's all it's all good now that's good I was so I was like I said you were in Toronto and I came to Winnipeg and I got in touch with Jason Tate and I said, "Hey Tate, I'm coming to town." And he's like, uh, "Get Samson together, like let's go hang out." And and <laughs> Tate said, "Samson doesn't hang out." I'm like, "Oh, what? Come on, I'm in I'm in town, you know." And I ended up because you know how these big rock festivals go, right? Like there's tons of drinks, there's tons of fun, tons of people to meet, you know. And Keebler was there, your your old your old tour manager or current, he was there. And uh, I'm like, let's do this. It'd be fun. And then Tate never hooked up with me. And I'm a little upset by that. Talk about snark. Because it's like... uh, But could that be... I I know he's got... He... I I guess he's got two kids now, right? I don't don't know. I I think a second one showed up. (laughs) Uh, I'm here. (laughs) Was he 14? Yeah. (laughs) And I might... uh, I think I can relate to the difficulty of leaving your house when there's a baby in your home. It's fucked, man. Yeah. You, you like the second, the second you're off the clock and that kid's asleep, you just, you hit the ground and you pass out until the next morning. I hear you. I hear you. You know what? I, I, but I'm sure, you know, I forgive I forgive him. I'm sure he lives, you know, if I threw a rock off the front lawn, I, I would hit Tate's house. Oh, really? (laughs) <laughs> he just lives a street over. Oh wow! Okay, well tell him I said hi. Uh, t- I never see him. He, oh yeah, because he's too busy. Uh, yeah, I don't know. He's got that cool thing in the the garage in the back of his house. Where- I haven't seen it. I want to see it because I would like to do something like that myself. Except I probably costs money, right? Yeah, quite a bit. I think yeah. this used to be this used to be our jam space. Okay, you know what? That but, looks uh, familiar. Now that you have children yeah, as, or child, you, child, yeah, there's like a fucking plastic kitchen over there that <laughs> yeah, nobody nobody it. uses. No, I got an air and, hockey uh, table that holds up my shit. Where is it? Oh, oh it's cool. behind this thing. So Todd comes. Todd enters the band, and Todd from I Spy, 
Appliances and Cars, I saw the first time they ever played that at West uh, West End Cultural Center. Mm-hmm. And I was tingling when I when he's like, uh, I'll be dead and fucking gone. You know, I'm like, oh, my God, this is saying everything, you know, everything yeah. I want to hear. It seemed like a natural fit for him to join the band, you know. And, and Yeah, it was a... Uh... I mean, it was a, a continuation of us being very fortunate to get in uh, somebody in the band like Samson, mm-hmm. who was we had we really admired for the, what they what they their own personality, their own musical interests, who are who excelled at what they do. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, are unique, are unlike other people, and Todd was, is a, is a very different than Samson, obviously, mm-hmm. but had that same. I mean. You know, that's it's. We're very, very fortunate. Same with Beev. You know, Beev, uh, our other guitar player. There, there's not a lot of people who play like Beev. Yeah. So. Yeah, I don't think I've seen you as a four P. Or did I? No, oh, I. Yes, I did. Oh, the Phoenix. At the, the Phoenix. Beev would have right. been at the Phoenix. That's yeah. right. Yeah, that was that was awesome. And you know, it kind of needed to happen, right? Like this, just how big you want it to be, and it's the natural thing. It's just get more guitar players. It must be really. Um, was it tough finding like-minded people? Like I know Todd was just there; he was your roommate. But yeah. was is it tough finding like-minded people, not just to work with playing-wise, but to record with and to tour with and to work with and business people, even people like having someone take care of you as a manager or as a you know, how how do you find that? I mean, is it is it uh, hard or is it just luck? I think it's probably hard for everybody. Yeah, um, no matter who they are. Like we we don't really. I wouldn't even say me, George, Todd, and Beaver are like-minded necessarily. Mm-hmm. Like we, I suppose we have, we have similar core values, but uh, we're all so fucking different. It's like just this potpourri of weirdness, <laughs> um, which is which is kind of the, I think why we're still going because and inclu- like if you our our sound guy Mark Chaplin the butcher, yeah, he's a fucking freak. Yeah, you know he he. I mean, he has some of the same core values, but he's so he's also very different. Everyone, everyone in our entourage is like this yeah. walking caricature of something, and it's just this nonstop, fucking, vaudevillian <laughs> nightmare that is so entertaining to, to endure. I'm first actually. I think Mark was the first person I ever met in Winnipeg. Um, oh yeah, yeah. Uh, and I remember because we met very briefly. The very first time I was in Winnipeg was trigger happy we were called kingpin back then flat out mm-hmm. fucked oh yeah yeah down by law and mark the butcher was, that, was mixing that was the, the lineup wow yeah that was yeah. down by law wow yeah and it was with um it was at the at the royal albert yeah and i would say that it would have been like uh i don't know al nolan's really good at the date stuff um yeah but i think it was in the fall of 1990 i want to say and yeah, and it's the first time I ever met Mark, but I don't really meet you guys because you guys were, you guys are the crazy party band <laughs> that night. <laughs> what, Flat Out Fox? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that was a wacky, wacky night. Who was in that band? It was you and John Stewart. Was Tate? Me, John Stewart. Tate played drums. Um, Sutton, the, we had two bass players. We had Sutton on bass and we had Kuba. I know who later moved to went to be in DOA. He's, yeah. Uh he was on the other bass. We had two I don't know why we had two basses. And I think me and Stuart were playing guitar. Um <laughs> You did covers, did right? Northern Pikes cover. We did a Northern Pikes cover. Uh did you do uh yeah, Go Go's P- Go Go's? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. We did a Go Go's cover. Uh, we did some I uh, fucking I don't know. I, I, did I get to pick one song? Maybe we did a, did we do Twisted Sister or something? I can't remember. <laughs> I can't remember. I, I don't, I'm not sure I got to pick a song. I think I was trying to get, oh, maybe we did a Slayer. Did we do a Slayer song? I can't remember I that. I, I can't remember that. But I remember meeting, who mm. was it Walt? Who was the, the was it Walt? Who was the, um, the old guy that booked the Albert? Wayne. Wayne. <laughs> Wayne Towns. And, we, yeah. and the next week we were there, the dwarves were coming through. And uh, he listened into our conversation, like the dwarves are here, and the dwarves are notorious back then for fucking shit up. And uh, Wayne looks at us and goes, "The dwarves, very hardcore." <laughs> like, <laughs> it's like, yes, yeah. they are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're 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 playing here uh, Friday night. Oh, <laughs> I've been to Toronto in a while at the Windsor, at the at the Windsor, which is Wayne's new 
bar. Oh my God, very hardcore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. And his son took the took over too for a while. The Albert, right? Um, kind. Well, kind of. Uh, mm. Q, who is uh, is he even related? Is he a cousin? I don't know. Or I was assumed he was. But Q. Yeah. Yeah. Q and uh, the Wayne Jr. and the, I think uh, the other guy. Yeah, it's gone now. Yeah. Did they tear um, it tear it down or did they turn it into a quaint? No. I think it's still in transition. I'm not sure what's going on. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Well, it was, too bad. it's like a 1920s, 1910 kind of hotel. Like it's, it is old. Like it, it had an old maybe, value. Maybe I'm even, sure it was heritage building of sorts. Oh know? yeah. I think, yeah. I think it was one of the first, uh, yeah. One of the first hotels downtown. Yeah. God. Well, so many weird times I've had in that part of town. Is it yes. still wacky crazy? Um, it's well, not, not as, yeah. not as wacky because it's been, it depends on what you mean by wacky. There's like a place called whiskey dicks right down there now where <laughs> everybody probably goes and fights. Uh, but it, it's like a jock bunch of kind of people from the suburbs. Yeah. Suburb, yeah. suburban jock kind of place. Yeah. But, yeah. um, it's not as, it's not as wild as it used to be. It's, it's, you know, gentrification has crept across downtown and, um, it's not a place where people come to, like people used to come to the Albert from the suburbs because everyone had heard about this crazy place where everybody was fighting all the time and the shows were, the bands are crazy. And draft you know, night. that's how you got, draft night, you got people, all these rich kids from River Heights coming down to the Albert just to just witness the spectacle. That's, you know, people go downtown now because it's, they go to the exchange because it's safe and there's nice shops and stuff. So yeah. It's different. Is the old yeah. spaghetti factory still there? No, they moved to the Forks. Oh. The old spaghetti factory is now some fucking horrible, or last time I saw it, I don't go mm-hmm. down there much, was yeah. some horrible dance club. Oh. That sounds about right. <clears throat> <laughs> so how's life being a dad? Uh, tiring. Yeah. Uh, stressful. How, how old is your- Demanding. <laughs> how old is your child? I have two. I have a two, a five, a five-year-old, and one who is uh, about twenty-one months old. Yeah, being a dad is cool. I have two myself. I have a, I have an eight-year-old and a twelve-year-old. And uh, oh, nice! It's it's how crazy is it? I've, I've had this conversation with other people before, but you live your whole life being a little bit self-absorbed as a musician or as just you know, and all of a sudden. There's this little bundle of things that changes so much and you give up the world for this little bundle. You know, it's, it's, it's pretty religious to me. It's pretty amazing to think how much that changes you. Like even just crossing the street, you look, you know, a few more times you want to stay safe. You don't drive as fast. Certain things, you know, like how, how, how was it for you? I mean, were you, well, it was, it was exactly, well, it was, um, you know, I've, I've lived, I'm, I'm 40, I'll be 45 in November. And, um, up until, uh, I was 39, I essentially lived just a hyperextended adolescence Mm -hmm. in, in a lot of ways, you know, with no responsibilities to anybody else. Um, nobody depending on me, uh, you know, in, in, in a, in a really visceral one-on-one way, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, and so it was it was quite a change to to suddenly be that responsible um and be that involved with a new person's life and uh everything that comes along with it and i realized um you know you're saying you notice new things and mm-hmm. i was and the, the thing i noticed was that children are an underclass in our society. I've never even, I, before that, you know, I had a niece or whatever and, mm-hmm. um, I, who I saw intermittently mm-hmm. as she's, as she's been growing up, but having kids and you know, you spend some time going to a, a daycare or a school all the time and you're like, Oh yeah. Yeah. I never, I never considered, uh, the concerns of kids in a serious way prior to having kids. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that is a bad thing. And I think our, uh, I think people, even if you don't, you know, produce a kid, have your own kid and you don't adopt, I think it's important for people to try to spend time with, uh, with children 
because then you start to understand how the world actually works and how and what uh what life is like or well, maybe maybe i'm thinking particularly you know my boys when they went to when they go to daycare it's been down right downtown at furby and broadway and you get you you suddenly see some of the hard realities of of uh you know single parenting yeah uh in in a in a you know in a relatively tough part of of the city and it makes you really appreciate um well first of all uh, all the early educators that work in the daycares <clears throat> makes you appreciate um single mothers uh to a degree which i did not consider um seriously enough prior to having kids um didn't i you know i didn't give serious consideration um to my own parents what they went through what they gave up and um and yeah just you know so many so many things and i think uh yeah like i say i i, I feel like to a degree kids are treated like this like an underclass and they're just kind of bandied about pushed around told what to do mm -hmm. in our society and um i'm not sure what the solution to that mm -hmm. totally is except that um people need to spend more time with kids yeah yeah what i've what i've noticed um i i agree with you 100 percent. i agree that children need to be wrecked when you look through the eyes of a child you're seeing things you know in a pragmatic fashion you see I want this, you know, and then, and, and then it seems so simple, you know what I mean? Where we get older, we start thinking, well, I got to think this way and this way, and then there's several steps that will take me on to overthink, overthink, and then here we go. But one thing that I do notice with parents, with their children, is that sometimes no is no. Sometimes you have to say, listen, you know, I'm, I can't have a conversation with you in the mall because you're freaking out, you know? I, I'm, I'm trying to, to, to put this into, a, into a, an encapsulating idea to say, I love the fact that, but sometimes you just have to say no. And there's no explanation as to why no is no. But being the parent, sometimes you have to be a parent. And being the best friend, sometimes you can't, that doesn't, that's off the table, you know. Mm -hmm. leave, leave, the, leave the best friend part until they're 30 and well-developed. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, yeah. And uh, it's it's a tricky it's a tricky edge, and that's why parenting is so terribly difficult. You know, if you just let your child do everything they wanted to do, your child would not excel at life. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I so I I hundred percent agree with you, but there's also that one little part of life that says you got to be a parent. Sometimes parents don't kids don't like what parents do. You know what I mean? And yeah. it's un, it's unfortunate, but it's sort of one of those things in life that says, ah, uh, you know, I can't do that. My mom said no, you know. Yeah, I, I think I, I've been pretty lucky so far with our with our five-year-old. I've managed to, um, through that sort of diligence of trying, of not trying to be the best friend, mm -hmm. in, investing so much time and effort. Like, I think a lot of it just comes down to spending as much time as you can yeah. with a kid. Yeah. Um, because that's what they need. They, yep. um, they don't care about the stuff I thought the kid would care about. You know, what do you do with, mm -hmm. you know, you know, oh, gee, fuck, I'm not a rich businessman. Is this kid going to think I'm a scumbag? He doesn't care. <laughs> he, all he cares is that I spend time with him. He doesn't care that the neighbors have more money. He doesn't care that people have a cooler job. Mm -hmm. You know, he doesn't care. Yeah. And, uh, I've th through just investing, is and for me, like I say, it was it was a tough slog because getting used to um, not being uh, a fully grown adolescent mm -hmm. anymore. Mm -hmm. um, I I I really bore down and tried to buy in and invest time in him, and I've managed to get the best of both worlds. I got a kid; he, he doesn't like, you know, he 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 challenges my authority challenges he asks questions mm -hmm. reasonable questions about what is what is when is authority legitimate when's it not yeah. and all, and we also have a fucking lot of fun yeah. because at all, like we have i mean it'll change as kids get older and they have to get away from the parents but we do have we we managed to have like a 
um, a reason, like a, a almost a, a a buddy, best buddy relationship, while at the same time, both knowing that when push comes to shove, it's got to, you know, we got to, he can't just, he's not a spoiled brat. Like he, he yeah. and he knows he doesn't act like one. So yeah. it's, it's, uh, it's great. Yeah. It's an in, it's interesting how, um, I agree with you with the time too, because obviously you tour, you, you're playing, you still have to be a musician. You still have to be Chris Hanna of Propaganda. You still have to go do what you do. But the balance between spending time with your child, you know, that's why I don't really tour anymore. You know, I just decided to stay home. It was it was a decision that I think saved a marriage and, and hopefully made two kids not entirely insane, you know? <laughs> no. yeah. So that was the decision I made. And, and, and I think, you know, there's a time in life where, you know, and I think... If I might have an observation is because when you do tour, you'd like to spend as much quality time or be, you know, at home as much because when you leave, it hurts. You know, I know that. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, is that something that maybe just being, being, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm, maybe I'm the best buddy thing. I'm, I'm, I'm going to recant that, you know, I still, <laughs> I still think you should be, <laughs> I think you should be best friends, you know, and I think you explained it better than I did on the last, you know thing you said is that you have to spend time with your kids and, and mm -hmm. it's important. And, you know, you'd look at my wife's from a single mother family and, um, she's the biggest nurturer, she's biggest nurturer there is, you know, and, and same she, here. Yeah. Because she's making up for maybe not being so nurtured, you know, it's tough, you know, being a, a, a turnkey kid, you know, or, having to fend for yourself or have your sister or brother, older brother take care of you. It's, it's a tricky thing because you lose that dynamic of what your parent actually is. And, you know, I still think kids need parents, whether they're a boy, girl, 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 boy, boy, they need somebody. They need two people to work with. It's a, how do you do that? I mean, they tried big brothers, you know, what's the answer? Like, how do you, how do you fill that void, you know, from deadbeat dads and crazy parents and, what do you do? Do you, does the government get involved? Like, how do we do this? Like, how do we fix it? Yeah. I don't know. I guess, I guess, <clears throat> you know, if we, if, if there was ever, uh, an, an application of the term man up that I thought was, uh, legitimate, I'd say it's for deadbeat dads to fucking man up and, mm -hmm. and get, get back in your kid's life. Yeah. Like even, even if, even if the partnership, has gone awry mm -hmm. you have to do you have to do you have to make something work yeah uh to for that 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 kid has to know that that you love them mm -hmm. and they and that you're there for them and that you can show them the ropes and show them the pitfalls mm -hmm. um and 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 share the parenting is very it's very difficult with one person you know even just anecdotally from you know you know if your partner goes away and you're like fuck I'm on my own here, yeah. and when the shit hits the fan, there's no one, as my partner says, there's no one there to to look over at you and just roll their eyes in <laughs> in you know at the you know behind the kid's back to you know to let you know like I'm with you on this you know yeah it's not you I you know I, I when I think about my, my sister's a single a single mom mm -hmm. my partner's mom was a single mom. And, uh, I, when I think about having to do it on your own, I just, I really, really, um, I really, I revere people who are able to do it on their own, you know? Yeah. You think about, I mean, look at Europe, how Europe deals with things like that, with troubled ch children. They seem to have given up on sort of a certain age category that... That's why they have like the junkie parks, you know, where the, all the junkies go. That's where you go. But if you look at like what they've done with drop-in centers, put a foosball table in a, in a half pipe. And then all of a sudden there's now something fulfilled and put on a punk show. I mean, we should get that. Like, how do we, you know, they've started in our little town. There's a skate park. I mean, it's a start, but how, you know, just for something for kids to do. And if the parent dynamic isn't there, then they need a mentorship idea. They need somebody who's older than them to say, this is how you act. This is how people act. This is how humans act. You know what I mean? Like, uh, just to have a human dynamic, but are we, do you think there's hope? Do you think we can, we can fix this problem? I mean, you can't keep couples together. 
and you know i know some friends of mine who are going through this breakup with kids involved and they seem to be doing a pretty good job at it like is it be you know i mean there's always going to be the bad case you know we are in a certain class of people or a, cl or a group of people that are adults or sane <laughs> but mm -hmm. i mean how how much do we rely on outside sources to fix this problem well i think i think the problem is that we we no longer um, even remember the the village system, you know the, yep. the the term it takes a village to raise a child isn't just some something someone pulled out of the blue. Mm -mm. That's fucking the way they used to do it. Mm -hmm. That's the way you know through time immemorial it's been done, and um, that's we if we can't. I mean, it's not going to resonate with most people. At this moment in our society, that to that you know maybe we should live with our parents and our extended family mm -hmm. in a you know that's people I'm like even I'm like what the f before kids I'd be like fuck that shit <laughs> yeah. but when the kids show up it's like hmm huh, yeah, yeah well hmm that doesn't sound so terrible now for some reason even yeah. though you know yeah. um but the the model used to be it wasn't just living with your parents it was you'd live with your community and yeah and get it out wasn't and play. Just you, yeah, it wasn't just you taking care of the kids or or everybody fucking shielded off from each other by their house walls and sitting in front of their own TVs in their house not talking to each other. It was everybody was fucking doing everything together, working together. And there's some communities that still do it and they have they have more social cohesion. I don't want to live in some of those like you know, I don't want to live necessarily in a Hutterite colony, mm -hmm. but there there is something about about that structure, mm -hmm. um, some of it repressive and sexist and, and yeah. rooted in a religion I don't believe in, yeah. but but there is so, there is social cohesion, cohesion there, and I think we should take what's good about that and try to get it back into our in these into into our communities where we're all just we're all and not even just with kids, like even if we don't you know we all and we all used to live in fucking punk houses together, and um, I think it was a you know, for all the chaos and mayhem and weirdness that would go down, it was better than all of us living all on our own in single bedroom apartments, not talking to each other and just sit in front of the fucking TV. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It socialized us. It's about socializing. When we're sitting in our houses watching TV, we're not socializing. And our kids aren't getting socialized. And uh, yeah, I, I, I guess I'm pining for the village model to some degree, even though I live in in a city in western uh civilization <laughs> well you know the idea um you were speaking about religion and things like this there's a lot of like no duh parts of religion that people should just use i mean it doesn't you don't need to worship an idol or a god or 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 the ground or some with multiple arms it's just a natural thing. Like, of course, you're not going to be a dick. Just don't be a dick. But I mean, you don't, you don't, if there's certain things in religion that you, they're like, well, yeah, well, that, that, that just makes sense to me. Why? Well, well, of course, you're not going to, you know, the whole thing about stealing other people's wives and things like that, or, you know, whatever. <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm the wrong person to talk to about it. But I think the whole, <laughs> idea, the whole idea of, of, uh, of just common sense dictates that, oh yeah, I'm just, I'm just going to, of course, I just want to accept other people for who they are and things like this. I mean, so like you in the olden days, in the 90s, did you find like the whole know, political correctness thing? Like, did you find it a little judgy? But for, I mean, me in my 20s, anybody in their 20s who who discovers a new idea and um, is undergoing a transformative change from what they believe was a automaton in a bullshit society, which is the truth, that's mm -hmm. what I was as a kid, mm -hmm. to somebody who is who is thinking for themselves and can envision a better society, you, <clears throat> because of your inexperience in the world, you are automatically um, so certain of some things and so certain of the way. And and for me, because my transformation occurred because specifically specifically because I was confronted with a fucking virtual hammer over the head. By bands like MDC about about why society was bullshit, mm -hmm. and uh, and I thought, well, that's the way you do it. You you don't you don't you don't go up to people and, and say, hey, let's think about this stuff. It's like you 
just get in their face and fucking tell them, mm-hmm. you know, and who cares what the reaction is. The, actually, the the more negative the reaction, the more righteous you are because, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, that's just the way. And maybe we, we weren't the worst example of it, but it certainly was easy to get um, caught up in that, and especially in front of a crowd because that, that was just, it was electrifying for me uh, mm-hmm. to have a, to have a crowd turn on on the band it was very exciting <laughs> very exciting i saw one of your shows in Toronto at the elma combo and uh there was a switching off point for the band i think it was like you know what i think it was the first show with todd and and you you yell at the crowd we fucking suck it's like wow i mean honestly oh boy that was like oh. a you know a uh, talk about polarizing <laughs> You, you know, you kind of put the crowd at over there, and I don't know what turned the key for you or turned the switch to say, "I'm done with the show." I mean, do you ever get moments like that where it's like, "God, why, why?" Well, not God, I guess. Jesus, no, I can't say the other. But <laughs> why, why is this all going wrong? What is what's happening? I mean, do you do you, do you get tricks that can bring it back? I mean, I've seen like bands. during a show. Yeah. Well, back then, I mean. I, I didn't even like playing live back then because we weren't a very good band, you know? Yeah. Like, like even like from, I liked it when we played at the Albert cause expectations were low right? and we were drunk and everybody was drunk. And then when the, when things got more serious and we toured, um, and there was different expectations even from ourselves. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I knew like, just, ah, we're not that good. We're, I, mm-hmm. And then, so, um, we would just, I think sometimes we just wouldn't play shows. Mm-hmm. And then as we've gotten better as a band, we face those moments less. Like I, um, well, there was a time where you just decided we're not going to be a shitty band anymore. We're actually going to practice. So you're going to take this like a, sh- I remember you telling me like, this is now, a, this is my job. I'm not going to shortchange anybody. I'm just going to make this my job. And went and practiced every day. And I mean, you got to go to practice tonight, right? Like, is this? Well, I skipped it tonight. We went this afternoon instead so I could be here. Hey, there you go. But I mean, you honestly, I, it's true, right? You went and practiced every single day. Is that, was that, is this true? Or is this something lying to me again? I mean. <laughs> no, we, we practice maybe not every day. Um, we, we still practice as much as we can. Mm-hmm. Juggling everybody's schedules, like, uh, you know, probably four or five times this week by mm-hmm. the end of it. Um, but that's that's partly because we're trying to make a new record. But yeah, um, getting back to what you were saying about uh, you know getting in a in a moment on stage where things aren't going right. Technically, it doesn't happen a lot. It's more just like uh, spiritually, and I mean in quotation marks, spiritually, mm-hmm. sort of like uh, you, you can you know. A, Things can coalesce, like a, a certain crowd vibe and the sound on the stage, to where you you're just like, "Fuck, I I don't want to be doing this right this second. Maybe 45 minutes ago I did, or maybe in 45 minutes I will, but right now I don't." You have to, yeah, you kind of have to use sports psychology to get back in that zone, and yeah. uh, because other, I mean, that moment isn't coming back, so you might as well try to make it the best you can. <laughs> you know. uh, Kim Mitchell calls it plowing the field. That's what he calls playing shows. Oh yeah, plowing the field. What does he mean by that? That he's just working. He's just working, just working it. Yeah, you know. Yeah. I, well, he's yeah. been doing it so long, and he's such a great musician that maybe that it's easy. I, we can't do it like that. We can't plow the field. Do you don't you don't you don't just turn a switch and turn into propaganda? Like, I remember old no. S and a few used to do that to me when we I used to work with S and a few. It was like. They like go a little, put little switches in the back of their heads and just go, bam, we're us in a few, fuck out. It was just, you know, insanity, you know. But yeah. I, I don't know. I've seen you guys a few times since the big turnaround since Helma Combo. And I mean, uh, and, uh, impressive shows. I mean, like played well. Everybody is, it seems like everybody's into it. I don't know. You, you know, I saw you kick a guy in the ass because he got on stage. That was funny. <laughs> I like, I like trying that. You, my my dream is that they'll go flying in the air, but they never. Like, yeah. They just kind of move a few inches ahead and then keep lumbering and knock my mic stand over. And Let's set that up. Way. We should set that up with p- pulleys and ex- <laughs> elastic bands of sorts. Like I'll get on stage and I'll hook in, and then you kick me, and I'll just cat a yeah right into you, the. 
we do that before anybody else gets on stage so nobody gets You're like, on whoa. stage. You're like, whoa. Holy shit. Whoa. Otherwise, it'll be like, I want to ride that ride. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You, and you come into Quebec, huh? I have no idea. Well, apparently we're not, we're playing some place that's, is the night before the festival begins oh. and is separate from everything else. Right. I, I'm not quite sure what's happening. It's, people have warned us that we might have gotten into something that might be silly. Um, you know, I've done two of those rock fests before the Budweiser took it over and it was a family affair. Everybody's really cool. Um, oh, cool. Yeah. The mom paid me, you know, <laughs> and the dad yeah, was, yeah. dad fixed all the broken stuff. And then that, it, it grew so huge that they had problems with toilets and things. Were, oh, okay. Okay. So they took on a Budweiser sponsorship and, uh, I think the last year was the first year with it or maybe the year before. I can't remember. But uh, they're good people. Even if the kid that runs the the event, Alex, Alex, mm -hmm. he is a very cool guy, and he's not like I think he's like twenty five. You know, he's been oh, wow. you know. So yeah. uh, I think you have fun. You have fun. Are you sticking around? Or are you going straight home? Or are you carrying no, we off? Have, we're heading down to uh, the states for the next morning, so we got a bolt right after. You know, I'm impressed that you guys go to Florida. <laughs> What happened? Me too. Did you make friends with the people down there? Like, because, you know, it wasn't really a fun place to go. No, we uh, we just cross our fingers when we go now. And, th I mean, things have changed. Uh, I don't know what necessarily happened, but we receive less death that threats in Florida than we used to. How do you prepare? Like, fuck. I mean, I've worked for bands where... They get one threat, and I have four security guards around me. Like I worked for Ashley McIsaac, and he made some bad decisions. That some, and the the Tong, basically Asian mafia, wanted to kill him, and were making death threats. So I'm like it with him, and with like four or five security guards. I mean, do you deal with that? I, like, I, it's a dangerous thing, man. In Florida, like this isn't this hasn't happened recently, but around it was actually even I think it was before September 11th. Um, I can't even imagine what it would have been like to be in Florida as propaganda, you know, in the months after September 11th, but we had death threats, credible, serious death threats from, uh, white supremacist organizations down there and, um, ended up, I mean, the, the anarchist groups down there are, they're fully armed and they volunteered to come out and provide some semblance of security and they showed up with fully automatic weapons and headsets and uh it was wild it was wild could have used them uh when i was down there with strike anywhere and good riddance in 2001 when the the white power guys showed up and were zeke Hiling from across the road and then we we asked them to leave the show and then they went and beat up some guy down the road i mean it seems so like oh God, and all because they wanted to get a hold of the singer of Strike Anywhere. For like, what? To beat I, him up? Beat him up, yeah. I don't know. Little Thomas. Little Thomas, yeah. Go beat up, you've got to be a fucking piece of garbage to go beat up Little Thomas. Nicest, nicest <laughs> I know, like what? Honestly, we could, I mean, obviously it's preaching to the choir, but how, how do people turn into that? And we were talking a little bit about being raised as a child and, and how these things, how people become this in that circle of just hate and bullshit but people were in 2015 and but the fact that you go down there and play is commendable because it's like it's that minute chance of danger that i wouldn't want to put myself in and yeah uh, well i think we we played it pretty safe last time we just did pensacola which turned out to be no problem and then gainesville is it's you know it's a college town there's less nazis there generally sure. do you uh, do you make it further south like tampa and clearwater where all the crazy crazy people are or is there not the, not this time but no. oh, we did orlando too yeah and our, um orlando has that's where mickey mouse lives mickey's there mickey mouse lives there another white supremacist yeah, yeah. but uh they just <laughs> like, had they had a huge bust of all these fucking nazis or white supremacists just a couple days ago in orlando yeah so but maybe i mean they have bigger fish to fry than some punk band from canada anyways so don't the bullies like the prey on the the guppies, so to speak? Well, you know? I, I guess we are the easy target. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I I hope nothing dangerous happens, and you know, if you need somebody Thanks. to go down there and you know take care of Mickey Mouse, um, 
The Matterhorn is fun, I hear. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, this has been great. I think this this went in a different spot than I thought it would. I thought we were doing Chris Hanna's biography. Um, what would the book be called if uh, Chris Hanna had a biography? Like, uh, um, uh, it would be called. Oh, I'm Chris Hanna, and here's my boner. How about that one? That's that's probably. Uh, the reality-based version of <laughs> the book. Yes. Don't don't wait for the movie. Oh, the movie's gonna be awesome. <laughs> it's coming out on whatever Netflix. Netflix. <laughs> hey, Chris. Thanks for doing this. This is awesome. Thank you, Simon. Appreciate it. There you go, everybody. Mr. Chris Hanna of the band Propagandy. He's a really, really cool dude. Interesting guy. Um, we've known each other, like I said, for over 25 years. And he always has something very cool to say. I, I want to have him back on again, like next week. Uh, okay, here's the business. Go to iTunes, rate and review the show. Give it five stars. Recommend this to a friend. This is what makes the world turn, everybody. It's, it's, uh, it'd be really cool if you did that. You don't have to. There's no. There's no pressure. But you know, you know, do what you got to do. Uh, next week we have Mr. Spike Slauson from the band Uke Hunt again. Um, it's a second interview because the first one kind of got cut short. So we did it one more time in my car and we uh, did some songs and I think it went pretty cool. Yes. Don't forget to like us on Facebook. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at SimonHead666. You can get caught up on what, just not what I'm doing, but what everybody else is doing in the podcast and what's happening. Um, yeah, so go to applelog.esy.es, and then you can uh, sign up, subscribe to the podcast, listen to it there, do what you need to do. I'm running out of tracks. So I'm going to keep this short. So anyways, thanks so much. We'll see you next week. I'll be here. See you later.